0: Hello everyone, I'm Ian Abernethy and welcome to the com podcast. Uh, this month we're going to be discussing a uh, keyon, or uh, basic line work if you like, uh, which is a, it's a complex subject because it, it, there's no simple, you know, yes it's good, no it's bad. It depends on what it is, how it's done, how it fits into the wider training matrix. So these are the issues that we're going to be um, exploring in, uh, in this podcast. Uh, as usual, just a few quick bits of news. Uh, the first one is that we held our first uh, instructor's course uh, in Germany uh, since, between the last podcast and now. That went incredibly well. Um, so th- congratulations to everyone who uh, attended that. And we're looking to do one early next year in the USA as well. Uh, these courses are only open to people who are you know, very familiar with my methods, who've been to the seminars. They're not open to... to everybody it's, you know it should be obvious that I mean you can't instruct something if you've no du- direct experience of it um, but if you are, are someone who you know knows me well attends the seminars regularly is really familiar with my material if you want to um, get yourself certificated in, in, in teaching that then obviously that's a, an option uh, for you uh, we've also um, we're going to look to organize a trip to Uganda Next year, myself and Eric Parsons are looking on uh, doing a practical karate week in Uganda. Um, in the going on safari, seeing the River Nile, going to see all the various falls and stuff, um, meeting up with some of the instructors there as well. So, if, if that sounds like something that may be of interest, there's only 14 places. That's uh, we want to keep it, you know, limited and exclusive. Uh, if you're interested in that, if you pop along to IanAbenethy.com, just go to the news page, uh, search down there. You'll find all the details so if you fancy a little unusual karate adventure that may be of interest to you all right it's a fairly long podcast this so i'll keep the introduction really brief and we'll now get straight into the case for Keon. In this podcast, I thought it would be a good idea to discuss basic Kion training. Uh, for practitioners of non-Japanese systems, Kion, the term Kion, generally refers to the practice of techniques without a partner or without equipment. So typically it's done in lines where the karateka goes uh, up and down the room. Now such training really came into its own when the popularity of karate grew when it reached the shores of mainland Japan. Now, obviously, while the drilling of singular techniques will have always, that will always been part of practice, uh, groups drilling them in lines in an almost militaristic fashion to the command of the instructor is a relatively recent addition to karate. Now, whether drilled in lines or in a more informal manner, for the purposes of this podcast, the term Kion and all the observations applied to it uh, covers the solo execution of techniques and combinations without a partner and without equipment. So while Keon practice forms a significant part of modern karate training, it would be fair to say that many now question its value, and I know on my travels I certainly see uh, some people even abandoning the practice altogether. So to lay my cards on the table early on in this podcast, I'd like to say that I think totally abandoning Kion is a mistake. It's also a mistake that will be ultimately detrimental to the skill of the karateka. Um, However, that said, I also think that the way Keon is generally practiced is inefficient and often problematic. Um, So in short, my view is that Keon's a vital part of the mix, but it needs to be the right kind of Keon and it needs to be part of an holistic training matrix. I therefore like to explain the role I think Keon training should have and then elaborate to explain how it can be most efficiently and effectively practiced. So, in general terms, for a technique to have the optimum effect in combat, it needs to be delivered in accordance with three key factors. Now, we're going to express these three key factors as either the three T's or the three W's. Now, the three T's and the three W's are ways I use to explain the same idea. Um, and whether I'll use the T's or the W's depends upon the audience uh, and which model they'll probably find um, the easiest to relate to. So the three W's, they relate to what, when and why. So the what is the technique itself, the physical movement that we make. The higher the quality of the movement, the more effective it will be. However, technique alone is not enough. You know We need to consider the other two W's. So the second W is when, and this relates to the timing of the technique. We not only have to execute a good quality technique, we need to execute it at the right time. A moment too early or a moment too late and the effectiveness of the technique can be greatly reduced. So in my my experience I've known a good number of people with close to flawless technique who are less effective than their colleagues due to the fact that they lacked good timing. Um, Their strike, their throw or their lock or whatever was always applied just before or just after the optimum moment. But I have seen people with lower quality technique, not bad technique, just not you know, flawless, lower quality technique. But they had good timing, it was delivered at the right moment, and generally that got better results. Um, so for maximum effect, uh, we need good technique to be delivered at the right time. But there's also the third W to consider, and that W uh, stands for Y. So we need to be clear as to the objective in the given moment and choose to apply methods that help us achieve that objective. In other words, we need to know why we are applying the methods we are applying. A good technique with good timing that achieves a result not in keeping with our objective, i. e. you know the why's been overlooked, is obviously not going to achieve the optimum effect. So that's the three W's, and as you may have worked out, you know the three T's are as follows. And I say it's just a different way of expressing the same idea. So the three T's are technique, timing, and tactics. So technique is the what we do, the timing is the when we do it, and the tactics are the why we do it. And, and as I've said, you can use either model as both explain the same idea. You know, in my experience, the less experienced people tend to prefer the three W's because it's simple and uses everyday language. More experienced martial artists, who generally are more familiar with exactly what is meant by timing and tactics and so on, they generally prefer the three Ts. You know, and having used the Ws to explain the Ts, I think we can safely run with the Ts for the remainder of the podcast. So to ensure I've made this clear, um, so we can go on and discuss how this relates to Keon, uh, it may help to give examples where each of the elements discussed is lacking. Okay, so we'll do that. So example one. A person is being threatened and they are sure a physical attack is imminent. They deliver a preemptive strike in order to facilitate escape at a moment where the assailant doesn't expect it. However, the technique is incredibly poor. It's no power, it connects with a strong area, and it doesn't cause any disorientation. So in this example, the timing is good, the tactics are good but the poor quality technique results in zero effect. So example two. A person is clinched with an assailant. They're unable to break free at that moment and hence they decide to unbalance and throw the enemy to put them down and hence make their escape. The person delivers a technically sound outer reaping throw, but they do it as the assailant pushes forwards. The result is that the direction of movement is wrong and the person um, shifts to one leg and that results in them being dumped on the floor. So in this example, uh, the technique and the tactic are fine but it's the poor timing that results in ineffective execution. So example three. A person is facing uh, assault by multiple enemies. One of them gets close and the person immediately snaps the enemy's head down into a super tight guillotine choke. The fact the person has tied up both hands with one person and the fact that they are latched on to that person means that the other enemies have a largely static target who is unable to protect themselves from those attacks. That person is therefore quickly rendered unconscious and suffers a severe beatdown as a, as a result. So in this example the technique is solid as was the timing however it was delivered without any consideration to the objective or the tactics needed to achieve that objective so as we can see you know we need all three t's and or all three w's to be in place if effectiveness is to be achieved so i mean this is a podcast on keon so we may return to the three w's and three t's to discuss them in more depth in future podcasts however to understand the important role that keon can play we need to understand how that kind of training fits into those models. So for ease of getting the idea across, it may help if we give each of the three T's a numeric value. So let's go with the kind of standard, you know, one to ten for each one. So for technique, one would be very poor technique, and ten would be perfect technique. For timing, one would be totally mistimed, ten would be perfect timing. And for tactics, we'll say one is completely misaligned with the objective, and 10 is totally in line with the objective. So if we've got three T's and each one's marked 1 to 10, uh, when a technique's applied, we have a maximum score of 30. And that would represent a perfect technique at just the right time that's perfectly in line with the objective. Of course, things don't need to be perfect to work, but they do need all three elements to be addressed. So for our arbitrary scale, let's say that an effective technique We'll need a minimum score of five in each category. So, if it was lower than five in each category, it's going to be ineffective. So, our range of effectiveness therefore runs from 15 to 30. Now, obviously, the higher up the scale we are, the more effective the technique will be. So, let's say that below 15 is ineffective, 15 to 19 is lower level function, 20 to 24 is mid level function, and 25 to 30 is higher level function. You know, so as martial artists it's obviously the higher level of function that we want uh, and we need to ensure that our, our training can facilitate that development of that higher level function so back to key on training now it should be obvious keon training has no no ability none whatsoever to improve timing or tactics only live practice can do that now there are some who suggest that all training should be live. You know, The trouble with that is that technique never gets isolated. It's always part of the mix with timing and tactics. This means that higher level function may not be reached because timing and tactics can mask average technique. So while live training is an absolute must, there's also a place for isolating a technique in order to improve it. Um, so in our quest for higher levels of function, keyon training can uh, only help us move up the technique scale. And of course, there's other ways to train technique, of course. You know. If we intend to apply techniques on another human being, then we obviously need to practice them on another human being. However, there are faults inherent with most partner training that people are frequently blind to. During your typical you know, karate class, people spend 90 minutes or so uh, practicing hurting each other. And yet no one gets hurt. You know, safety considerations mean that every technique is done wrong. You know, by definition, it's done wrong. The technique's supposed to hurt somebody, and it didn't hurt anybody. You know, we wear protective equipment. We control strikes. We stay away from vulnerable areas. We throw people so they can land safely. We apply locks and chokes slowly and with care so that people can tap out. You know, it's unavoidable, but it inescapably means that everything is done wrong. We, we're practicing hurting others, but we never hurt anyone. So to help, you know, correct, in air quotes, this, there should be a part of training where we can take the safety off and apply the technique with full intent. Now, you can't do that with a human being, because, you know, you will injure people, you lose training partners, you know, it's morally not right, but you can do it on your own. That mix of motion, intent, and visualization can help plug the gap that partner training inescapably has. Key on training has an important role to play in this regard. But that's not its only role, you know, it also has uh, an important role to play in developing body awareness. Now, the greatest fault of Key on training is the lack of a partner, and its greatest strength is the lack of a partner. We have no other consideration but our own motion and mechanics. This 100% focus on your own motion can help develop greater levels of body awareness such that higher levels of function become possible. The very minor corrections made by a good instructor during Keon training are primarily to do with developing this awareness of the body. You're moving the hickety, you know, the hand on the hip half an inch, or turning the foot in or out a few degrees, and then asking for a repeat performance of the motion to such a high degree of precision, uh, that can demonstrate that the mind-body link is strong. Without such an awareness of your own body, you will never be fully in control of your own body, and hence the quality of your technique will be limited by that. You know, And hence, higher level function will be forever out of your reach. You know, back to our three Ts and the associated scale. Without higher levels of body awareness, an individual's technique will be capped at, let's say, five, right? We can still have um, the effective application of that technique due to the considerations of timing and tactics, but it's likely to fall into the lower or middle levels of function, and higher level function is forever uh, effectively denied to us because uh, to reach the required scores we would need almost perfect timing and tactics, and that's a big ask. However if we can get our technique up to levels of say 7 or 8, using keon training of part of the mix to help achieve that then we introduce some slack into the system middle level function is more likely to be the norm and higher level function is achievable of course you know as the 3t model shows good technique alone is not enough nor is keon training alone the optimum way to improve technique keon training does however have an important role to play as part of the overall mix especially if higher level function is the goal You know, karate works best when it's the result of sound body mechanics combined with combative function. Lose the combative function and you have nothing but pretty looking motions, you know, sadly much of modern karate is like that. If you lose the body mechanics, then we have motions that are largely impotent when they could be devastating. You know, and that's a worrying trend amongst those who throw the baby out with the bathwater when seeking practicality. You know the dump key on we want to be practical and the trouble is in doing that they can often fail to find the practicality that they are seeking as a result you know <laughs> another reason that people get rid of it you know i mean is that key on training is found by many to be boring you know and, and you know i mean my gut response to that is suck it up you know i mean is we're we're, we're martial artists and if you're not even to even get past boredom you know what chance do you stand of getting past fear or uh, discomfort or you know any of of those things we should have greater control than that you know you're tough you know key on training is boring getting good at anything requires repetition um so you know some people do find you know key on in lines to be boring and endlessly correcting minor motions in kata can likewise be thought to be boring You know, and when isolated from a wider training mythology, you know, they are of little value. And I can see why people mistakenly dump these things. You know, they're not getting the value out of them and they're not finding them interesting. However, when Keon is done as part of a wider training method, with the aim being true combative function, I feel Keon training has a vital role to play. So, I mean, years ago, I was at a a BCA, that's British Combat Association, residential course, And uh, I was part of a conversation between myself, uh, Dave Hazard, and Peter Considine, you know, before the event began. And listening to Dave, you know, fantastic, such a knowledgeable guy. And Dave likened Keon, and Solo Cater too, to being like the foundations of a building. You know, if you don't have a strong foundation, you can't build upwards. You know, and Dave also stressed that, you know, the foundations of a building, although vital to the health and stability of that building, and not the directly usable bit. You know, we don't live in the foundations, we use the bits built on the foundations. You know, I've never seen the foundations of my home, I've never been in them. You know, but at this moment, as I'm recording this, I'm using a room built on those foundations. So while I don't use the foundations directly, the usable bit depends upon them. Now, some modern karateka ignore the foundations and try to build up immediately, and the result is a system that becomes unstable at higher levels of function, due to the complete lack of sound body mechanics and high levels of body awareness. Um, other modern karateka, if going to be fair, probably most of them, spend all the time building strong foundations, but never put the usable bit on top of that. I mean, to quote Dave Hazard again from our conversation, he said, you know, we should be building skyscrapers on top of those foundations, but most don't even build, you know, single floor bungalows. So while forever building foundations is a common fault for Karateka, the other extreme of ignoring the importance of those foundations and ignoring nuanced body awareness and ignoring highly defined technique is also prevalent in the practice of modern martial arts, particularly among the reality-based fraternity. You know, people want function and they want it quick. Um, and nothing wrong with that, you know, but <laughs> you've got to make sure that you don't deny yourself that function be- uh, through your enthusiasm to get it. Um, So the idea of spending time endlessly repeating and analyzing motions with finite detail is written off as unnecessary, which, you know, it, it is. It is unnecessary if all you want is lower level function, because reasonable technique combined with reasonable timing and tactics, you know, will work, it'll get you into that lower level score. Now the issue though, as we've already discussed, is that if you want higher level function, if you want your techniques to be more effective more often, uh, you need that foundation because otherwise, without it, the higher-level function becomes inaccessible. You can be effective in a fashion, but you'll never be highly effective. Now, th- the irony is, you know, all the leading reality-based people that I know and have I've had conversations with about this, you know, they fully understand the importance of body awareness and good good body mechanics. Yeah, um, sadly, this importance doesn't always filter through to you know others, you know, the rank and file, if you like. Now, you know, before any karatego listening to this gets smug about you know, their highly refined technique, it's important to remember that Keon alone won't develop such technique objectively. If you judge the quality of your keon by some arbitrary dictate, um, then you can say your keon is good because you have a self-supporting definition of good. So such keon is only good subjectively. However, if you measure by effect, you know, as a pragmatic karateka always will, then um, your technique will be objectively good. And to ensure that that you're going to need to test this technique against both live partners and impact equipment. You know, it's only through through such feedback can it be determined that the technique is objectively good. To have highly refined technique, then you need Kion, impact work, and live application all mutually supporting one another. You know, ignoring impact equipment and live practice in favor of solo technique practice exclusively will only make you good at Keon by kion standards. Um, and sadly we see a lot of that in modern karate, where people train in Keon solely to get good at Kion. We should be using Keon training in order to make us more effective through the strengthening of the mind-body link, through getting us to focus inward, not outward to a partner or a pad, although that's obviously important too, but inward, so we develop that mind-body link and high awareness of what our body is doing. And then from there, we're in a position to utilize that strengthened mind-body link and the resulting body control to develop highly refined technique and highly efficient body mechanics. You know, it won't be near enough. It'll be exactly what's required. You know, sound body mechanics are a must, but they must also be applicable to real-world scenarios. A formal lunging punch with good mechanics is practically useless unless it's understood how that motion is to be applied you know we get back to the timing and the tactics issues you know for example you know if we're talking about the lunge and punch we need to understand that the hickety is controlling the enemy's limb that the stance is moving the body weight forwards that the angle in the cutter is showing us the line of entry and our tactical positioning you know if that punch is delivered in accordance with the cutler's mythology, it will be highly effective If the same punch is delivered independent of the caters' mythology, i.e. I just lunge at the enemy with my hand on my hip for no reason and then a freeze at the end of the motion, as we frequently see in one-steps and stuff, then the motion will be dangerous and ineffective. It is the combination of efficient body mechanics uh, being applied in a sound combative way that makes it all work. You know, One without the other is useless. I am a great believer in Keon and it worries me that some people are abandoning the practice. A lack of good Kion and the associated practice um, can result in a failure to develop higher levels of body awareness, and higher level function requires that. That said, and this is very important, the Kion we do practice should be directly applicable and we should not overdo it such that Kion practice is given a disproportionate amount of practice time. 30 minutes of a 90-minute session devoted to impractical sequences is not good, and it, we see that a lot. You know. It all comes down to what we define as Kion and how we practice it. You know, it can be invaluable or pointless depending upon these two factors. Um, taking individual sequences and techniques from Kata in order to refine them and work on pure awareness of one's own body and body mechanics can be a very useful practice. You know, however, that should be part of a wider training regimen that has the same sequences practised with a partner and you know against a resisting opponent. We I mean we don't just have you know sequences from Catherine Keon as well, of course, you know, and all other sequences utilized in Keon shouldn't be random exercises, but motions that have as is applications. Now, much of modern karate fails in this regard, and as a result, the kind of kion that we practice sometimes has little value, or not as much value as it could have. Now, so one example from my uh, training in in Wadaru is the the combinations that are widely practiced. You know, I'm not knocking Wado because these combinations exist in, in most systems. All systems have got their own. I'm just going to use this as an example because they're one's familiar to me. You know, I. I proud of my wado roots and it's a good system you know so i'm, I'm not having a go at the, the, the style itself i'm I'm just pointing out that i believe there are things that, that can be done better so one of the combinations that you know is typically done in most wado syllabuses is zenshinai uh, jodan renzukichudan Chudan, mayageri muoshigeri shirigeri right now this is a, a common combination in wado line work and for those not familiar with Japanese, it's essentially a step through head punch, middle level reverse punch, front kick off the back leg, roundhouse kick off the back leg, put the foot down in front, turn and deliver a back kick with the other leg, spin and deliver a back fist to the head. Now, the huge problem with that is there's no way that combination is applicable. There's no conceivable way you could ever use that as is against an opponent. It's like putting words together in a sentence where you know the overall sentence has no meaning. You know, it, it, it's, the, the not, it's not a good combination. There's no way that can be applied. And as I mentioned, you know, that's just not a unique wide thing. We see that in other styles too, you know. We see things like, you know, shutuki, lead-leg front-kick, rear-hand nukate, all this kind of stuff, sh- these weird sequences all strung together. You know, none of these have direct applicable applications. Now, you could make the case that these inapplicable combinations are not meant to be applicable. But instead I exercises emotion and body awareness and indeed people do make that argument but to me it's an argument that holds no water. Now surely you know, it makes much more sense to use directly applicable combative motions to learn body motion and awareness. That way you're not practicing something you'll never use. So in my case, you know, in my dojo, we regularly drill singular techniques in keon practice. And this will include lunging punches, reverse punches, zagi gidambara, shutuki, etc. You know, jabs, crosses, hooks, palm heels, knees, you know, singular techniques like those. Uh, When it comes to combinations in Keon, I've long since dumped the ones that I acquired from Wado and I've replaced them with combinations that are directly applicable. So, for example, um... Jab cross, step reverse punch, step reverse punch, grab neck, knee, drop back, double rear elbow strike. Another one we use a head butt knee, push groin kick, rear palm heel, arcing slap, dropping armor fist to where the enemy's head now is. And the result of combinations like these is that we gain the benefits of line work and key on training, but what we're training has a direct functional use. Um, There are loads of combinations like that and we do them as both keyon partner drills and pad drills together they combine to give an education in movement such that higher grades no longer practice specific set pieces but you know any combinations that you know i deem fit to give them or they wish to practice because they understand how to move from the set pieces that we we have done previously now there's an important role for key on training but it needs to be the right kind of keyon that is trained Uh, Keon should also not be overemphasized to the detriment of other training methods. Spending the bulk of training time going up and down the room takes time away from other training methods that will improve timing and tactics, as well as other methods of developing technique which are also very important, i.e. partner work and impact work. As is always the case, uh, for a training method to maximize its value, it needs to be part of a wider training paradigm. Bag work is good, but it's not good if that's all you do because it's devoid of aliveness. Sparring is good, but it's not good if that's all you do because safety considerations will be ever present and you'll have limited technical knowledge. You, know, you also need to be educated in what to do in that sparring. You can't just spar all the time and so on. As soon as you isolate anything from the wider training paradigm or overemphasize it to the detriment of other parts of that paradigm, you're going to have issues. You know, within modern karate, we often see Keon being overemphasized like this. You know, in my dojo, I would say we spend around 10% of the time on Keon. You know, we find that for us, uh, practicing Keon as we do, as part of a wider training regimen, uh, this percentage is about right. You know, Keon is a very important part of the mix, and we neither ignore the vital role it plays, nor do we overemphasize it. Now, some may be thinking that our level of technique must be low if we only spend such a small amount of time on line work, but you'd be wrong to think that. Now, if that thought did did cross your mind, what you're probably failing to appreciate is that we have many other ways to develop technique. You know, our lot look very sharp when they do key-on training, despite the relatively small amount of time we spend on it. a small amount of time when compared to others, at least. Uh, the reason for that is that Keon is not overemphasised to the point where the law of diminishing returns comes into play. Keon training is an important part of developing good technique, but it's not the only way to develop good technique. Overemphasising Keon results in these other methods being underplayed, and it's that which can diminish the overall quality of technique. Uh, Key-on training is an important part of the mix because it forces the practitioner to focus on pure motion and pure body mechanics. The resulting body awareness can open up the higher levels of function that would be forever inaccessible if that level of body awareness was not achieved. While isolating technique through key on practice is important, it must be understood that technique uh, is just one part of what makes uh, a technique effective. You know, the physical motion is just one part of what makes a technique effective, and that timing and tactics also have a vital role to play. Keon does absolutely nothing to enhance timing or tactics. You know, it's not supposed to, it's not designed to. But again, that emphasizes the need for Keon to be integrated with other supporting training methods. We need live, holistic, non compliant training methods too. And it's not an either or choice. We need both live practice and solar technique isolation as part of the mix. Keon has the advantage of a 100% focus on motion and body awareness because there's no distraction, again in quotes, from external factors such as a partner or equipment. It also allows us to practice with full intent with the mental safety off. Keon also allows practice at times where there's no training partner. Um, which is obviously important the more practice you get the better you get so um, we don't always have a partner to, to train with and Keon provides a means by which we can practice on our own. However you know the problem with Keon is the lack of a body to apply the technique on or the lack of impact equipment means there's no immediate feedback and because of that errors can creep in. We therefore also need to practice methods with feedback and empirical testing Partner training, equipment training and keon should be three mutually supporting ways of developing technique. They support one another, inform one another and fill the inherent gaps of the weaknesses that each individual method has. So I hope this podcast has helped explain you know why I think keon is important, why it has value and why it needs to be part of the mix if higher level function is to be achievable. I also hope it is put forward how Keon should be practiced as part of a, uh, a wider training regimen, and how failure to, to do that can see Keon training become ineffective. You know, it needs to be the right kind of Keon. I think we could summarize the th- key messages of this podcast in these four points. So, number one Keon is vitally important if high level function is to be achieved. Number two. The type of Keon practised must have direct combative function and must not be a random combination of unlinked motions. Number three, to maximise value, Keon should not be overly emphasised to the detriment of other forms of practice. Number four, Keon needs to be a working part of a wider training paradigm and not an end in itself. I, you know, many karate just do Keon to get good at Keon, and as pragmatists, that's obviously not our goal. When these four points are understood and adhered to, Keon training is very useful. Um, to throw in a last-minute analogy, <laughs> uh, you can think of Keon like fat in your diet. So if you had a diet that was devoid of all fat, had no fat in it whatsoever, that's unhealthy, your body needs fat. However, if you've got too much fat in your diet, that's also unhealthy. It's when you get the balance right that you'll be at your most healthy. Now, likewise, your karate will be at its most healthy when you get the balance right of all its component parts too. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. And um, as I say, you know, there's there's lots to key on. It's, it's a big topic. And whether it, you can't give a simple key on good, key on bad answer, it depends. It depends on a lot of factors. And I hope, uh, you know, that podcast was a good explanation for you of some of those factors. Um, just before we kind of leave the subject alone entirely, I just got a, got a quick story I want to tell you. So um, probably about 20 years ago or something like that. Uh, I was teaching a, a class uh, prior to a grading. Um, I had a group of students grading on this day, and before the grading examiner turned up, I was running them through a few bits and pieces. And uh, one of the this was when I still taught kids at the time. So one one of the one of the guys is 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 there, and he's, his child's training. And he's never seen his child train before. You know, it's normally mum that takes. You know. This particular student, to karate classes and stuff. Anyway, so he's wa- he's watching with interest as we go through the the basics and the key on And at the end of it, he, he comes up to me and says, "Can I, you know, ask you a few questions?" Yeah, you know, feel free. Because what was the all that you know moving up and down in lines? What was that all about? So I explained it to him. Not in as much depth as I have done in this podcast, you know, but we'll briefly explain it's, you know, to give them a chance to concentrate on their own motion, to get them to uh, be aware of their own movement, to isolate technique, you know, devoid of, of, of any external pressure to hit something hard or to dodge a punch or whatever. And uh, it was that point he revealed that he was a, a boxing coach. And he said that one of the problems he often had was when his students got under pressure, you know, that start swatting each other with the inside of gloves. And, you know, he said that the, that the technique wouldn't, withstand pressure testing, you know, a lot of cases, you know, for newer people, and and, and that he could see value in this, getting the, them to do thing in lines, you know, repetition after repetition after repetition, to make them very aware of, you know, which part of your fist will be making contact, where's your elbow at, where's your guard arm at, what are your hips doing, to make them very aware of that, that whole body motion. So anyway, you know, I left it at that, and then about six months later, he, he turns up again, and you, know, I guess he's Child was grading again that day, and he comes over to me and just said, "You know what? I introduced that to my boxing club. It worked great." <laughs> so to him, it was this kind of really innovative way of training. Of course, to us, Karateka, it's it's pretty much everyday stuff. Um, but he found that through getting them to do the technique, you know, and combinations as well, you know, to his count, it got them thinking about, again, their own body position, it got them lots of repetition in, and then when you put them back on the pads, you know, they're not swatting it or hitting it hard, they're hitting it hard with the right technique, they're aware of their own body movement. They start sparring, and they're not just trying to kind of get the glove to the head, you know, they're, they're aware of how they're going to do it. So effectively, he'd introduced on to boxing and found it to be very beneficial, and, and Probably though, you know, a doubt at his boxing gym they spent you know half an hour every session <laughs> doing unusable combinations, you know. So he probably approached Keon in the way that I'm suggesting that we should, and um, it certainly worked for him. Okay, so well, thank you very much for for listening in. Yeah, you know, I, I always almost finished with the same thing, and this one's going to be no different. I really do enjoy putting the podcast together. Uh, I, I, I appreciate you know you, you listening in and spreading the word on them. And I, I know lots of people do listen to them, and I really appreciate you doing that. So always say again, podcasts are totally free to listen to. They're not free to produce. It takes you know my time and effort. So I'm very grateful to all those who uh, support me through you know the book sales, DVD sales, uh, particularly the seminars, organising and coming to the seminars because the finances that are generated from those things enable me to put out all the free stuff to you know all the YouTube channels and the stuff on the website and everything else and and of course these podcasts so um thanks very much for listening in uh, I'll be back with a new podcast shortly and until we speak I hope you have a, a good month okay speak to you soon bye bye now